All right, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we are engaged in this series called Breakthrough, and uh, there is an outline in your bulletin for uh, this morning's message. Uh, the message I want to share with you today is something, the content of this message is something I share with you every single year, because it's so, so important for us to grasp it, but not just grasp it, but actually apply it in our daily lives in order for us to experience the transformation that God wants us to experience. Listen, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about transformation. God doesn't want to leave us the same as he found us, right? So when you get saved and you experience Christ firsthand, now you have the rest of your life journeying through this world until you exit this world. That process is called transformation, right? Sanctification, transformation, God wants to make you a new creation in Christ. You've already been made new, but now you want to learn how to apply what God's done in you so that you can now begin to live it out through you, and those around you then get to experience the new you. Right? So when I got saved, um, there wasn't much of Greg, okay? I was foul-mouthed, and I was, had a lot of issues and problems and anger issues and so on and so forth, and it took God a long, long time to begin transforming my life and to renew my mind in order for me to experience what it is that God wanted for me so that he could live it through me. So Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, if we're going to be transformed, it happens because of the renewing of our mind. Right? That's what leads to transformation. The mind is a very powerful entity. And so there is that you know, gray matter that sits inside your cranium cranium, and uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, and so the mind gets molded, and it gets shaped by a, a variety of different things, so Paul says, listen, don't let the world mold you, conform your mind to its ways, God wants to conform your mind to the ways of the kingdom of God, so we're going to kind of back up, we're talking about breakthrough, because we're experiencing brokenness, right, so brokenness happens in a lot of different ways. Now, in the very first message, I said, hey, if I were to ask you to share your story um, about life and, you know, where you've been and what, what's happened in your life and, and what God's done in your life, most of you are going to share some very painful experiences that you've had in life. Now, if you're really, really young, you probably have not had a lot of traumatic and painful experiences. You may have, but you may have not. But as you go through life, you're going to experience those things, right? Uh, a lot of things happen. Hurtful words are spoken over you. Um, maybe somebody floats out there on social media, some very uh, derogatory statements and opinions of you that everybody gets to see. Uh, maybe you've been bullied in school uh, most of your life or you harassed in school. Maybe you have this deep-seated belief within you. You don't know where it came from. You don't even know how it originated. But that belief that I'm just not enough. I'm not smart enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not talented enough, I'm not athletic enough, I'm just never enough to meet the standards at which, you know, people expect of me. Maybe you have a secret fear that you are unlovable for some reason, uh, maybe something you've done, maybe something has been done to you, uh, maybe your past sins, you drag them around and you don't fully accept God's forgiveness. Maybe you don't even feel worthy of God's love, His forgiveness, His acceptance of you. And no matter how many times people tell you God loves you, it just doesn't register in your mind or in your emotions. You just don't believe it. You think they have an ulterior motive. Um, it's just, you know, words on, that they speak. Maybe you 
grew up in a very stressful family environment. Maybe your parent was an alcoholic. Uh, maybe there was abandonment that took place like what I grew up in. Um, maybe there's a history of foster care. Maybe there is a loss of a romantic relationship. You were engaged once and it got broken off or maybe you lost a loved one. Uh, that relationship, that person is no longer here. There are a thousand different things that we experience in life and everything that we experience affects the way that we think, which affects the way that we feel, which affects the way that we live. And so oftentimes we are driven more by our emotions than we are by sound thinking. And so everything you presently know, feel, or are mentally aware of has its roots in experiences that you had in life, oftentimes in childhood, maybe up into your teens. And a lot of these things, these hurtful things, got shoved inside, you suppressed it, you repressed it, um, knowingly or unknowingly, subconsciously it's there. You may not be aware of it anymore. And it would take God shining his light into the inner core of your being to expose that which you have experienced that is really driving you in the here and now, even though you may not understand it, see it, or even acknowledge it. And this is where God wants us to have breakthrough. I want you to think your mind, uh, your brain is software and hardware. I mean, we're all, you know, we're all uh, uh, well aware of computers now. And maybe you have a laptop, or maybe a desktop. And the hardware is the actual computer itself, and then the software is the program that runs the computer. Well, that's the way your brain is. You have a hardware, that is, you have a physical brain, and then you have software, which are thought patterns that you have developed over a lifetime that determines how you think and how you feel and the things that you do. So all of your life, you've tried to manage in some form or fashion all of these thoughts that are rolling around in your head. And as I shared a couple of weeks ago, when I asked you many years ago about, tell me what you think about when you think about yourself, what rolls around in your head. And we got all kinds of derogatory things, right? I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm unlovable, uh, nobody loves me, I'll, I'll never have a relationship. I, I mean, just horrible things that we think about ourselves. Well, where did those start? How did those get established and rooted in our thought processes? Because listen, Every time you have a thought, it's easier to have that thought again, which makes it easier again. You have thousands of thoughts that roll around in your head every single day, and it is estimated that 80 to 90% of those thoughts are the same thoughts that you had yesterday. And so it's like a tape recorder. I, I like it this way. It's like driving a, a, a Jeep in a very muddy area, and you like develop ruts in the road, and the deeper the ruts, the harder it is to get out of it. And so we start laying down mental ruts in our thought processes that we become our default thoughts whenever life is pushing against us. So, for example, maybe you were rejected in some form or fashion as a child, uh, like you had an alcoholic parent. And uh, the only time you had experiences with that parent were negative, they were harsh, maybe physical abuse, or mental abuse, and so all of a sudden you, you've developed this rut thought process that says, well, you know, it's my fault, I'm unlovable, and I, you know, I'm always the one who, who, who sets my dad off, and whatever thoughts you are having about yourself negatively, you carry that with you throughout your lifetime unless you have addressed those 
negative thoughts and have replaced them with something that is truthful. Because when you have those kinds of thoughts that oftentimes become lie-based, your interpretation is, I'm the problem, it's my fault, I should have been better, I should, you know, on and on it goes. So what God wants to do is he wants to kind of debug us of those negative thoughts because what happens when we think negatively is that it creates within us emotional pain. So now we develop coping mechanisms to help ease the pain that we're feeling inside. So your coping mechanism might be you run to things like alcohol, drugs, sleeping, shopping, binge-watching TV. Um, it could be a thousand different things, eating disorder, smoking. I mean, whatever it is for you that just, you know, it doesn't make the problem go away, but at least I don't have to feel it for a little while, right? This is, it's, it's, I'm trying to manage the pain and the hurt that's rolling around inside of me and the negative thoughts that I'm having towards myself. So here's what Proverbs says, is that as a man thinks or a woman thinks, so is she or so is he. In other words, your thoughts really do matter because you become defined by the stories that you are telling yourself. Now here's what complicates this. Let's say, for example, um, that you were abused as a child so immediately, you learn to mistrust people, right? So that mistrust uh, is a negative thing, but for you, it was a positive thing because it was your means of creating safety uh, for yourself, right? I was abused, therefore, I'm not going to trust anybody. I'm not going to let anybody get close. That way, I can fend off my any future abusers that might enter into my life, whether it's verbal abuse or physical abuse, or sexual abuse. Uh, there's all kinds of abuse that we can experience in life. And so you, you, you latch onto this as a measure of safety. I'm just going to, you know, I'm not going to trust anybody any longer. So all your life, you can't trust anybody. There's always, you're always, you're always guarded. You're always, uh, I'll let you, I'll trust you so far, but I just know you're going to let me down. And this is the negative, negative mindset that you have, and therefore, it's hard to have intimacy. It's hard to have relationships with people if you have a spirit of mistrust. Or maybe uh, you experienced rejection. You, uh, maybe you, you had a, a parent that left. Like, you know, my dad left when I was young and my mother raised us. And there was that sense of abandonment, that sense of rejection. So for those of, those of us who feel rejected early on in life, we put up walls of defense. Like, all right, you know, I'm only going to let you get so close. I'm not going to attach my heartstrings to you because I know that when push comes to shove, you're leaving me. You're abandoning me. You're not going to be here when I really need you. And so uh, that's just, that was a safety measure. The problem with these safety measures is they eventually they turn inward on ourselves and they become very negative things in our lives. I mean, what, what, what would it be like going through in your entire life never being able to trust anybody, never letting anybody close, never letting anybody into your life, never really exposing yourself to anyone for fear that you're going to be rejected or for fear that somebody's going to take advantage of you. And so it's just a miserable way of living life. But this is exactly how your enemy wants you to live. This is how he wants you to function. He wants to keep you embedded in those negative thought processes so that you never experience the freedom that Jesus says 
that he has come to give us. When Jesus began his ministry, he says, listen, I've come that I might set the captives free. And so he who is free is free indeed. How are we going to experience freedom? He said, my disciples are going to know the truth, and it is the truth that is going to set them free. So what Satan does, remember everything that God creates, Satan counterfeits. God creates truth so that we experience freedom. Satan wants us embedded in lies that keeps us enslaved and embedded into the negative side of our thought processes, and thus we begin to feel very negative things. I mean, you ever been around somebody who's just angry at the world? <laughs> well, anger, anger is a secondary emotion. Anger is fueled by something. Well, what do you think happened in that person's life that created such anger? And if you were to ask them and sit down and say, hey, why are you so angry all the time? Well, I'm not angry. Really? <laughs> and listen, their response is like a teenager when you say, why did you do that? And they go, I don't know. Their response is, they may not know why they're so angry. Because that is so uh, hidden beneath the surface that they, they couldn't pinpoint, they couldn't say, this is, why, this is the root cause of my anger, and this is why, as we're going to talk about it, we need the Holy Spirit to help us. Here's what Jesus warned us. He says in Matthew 6, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. And to reiterate his warning, he says, but when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the, if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness? In other words, your eye is a window into your soul. If your soul is unhealthy, that means there is an interior narrative that's telling you lies about yourself, but you have now accepted those lies as being truth. And so now your whole body, your body is unhealthy because when you carry around with you negative toxicity in your emotional track, your body keeps score. My wife's reading a book by that title, Your Body Keeps Score, and it really does. We know medically there are all kinds of medical issues that come up in people's physical bodies because the body is keeping score of all this negative stuff that is rolling around inside of us and it is very very destructive because it is based upon a destructive narrative that you have created within you so what god wants to do is he wants to help us find our way out of the darkness by providing you with a guide and the guide is the holy spirit this is why God has given you the Holy Spirit to help unmask, to help uncover, to help unveil that which is down with, deep within you that you may have ignored for years. You may not even be aware of it anymore, but it is the thing that drives your emotions. And as human beings, we tend to give more credence to our emotions than we do sound thinking. And so that's why Jesus says, man, I've come to debug your software issues because this is what transformation is really all about. Because look, if it stays in the darkness, hidden, you know what? Things grow in the dark. You want to know the things that grows in the dark? Mold. Is mold healthy for you? No. I discovered when we moved to Texas 
uh, when I was in school in Texas, I discovered there's a lot of things that go on in the dark when you turn out the lights in Texas, in your house or your apartment. It's called cockroaches. Cockroaches everywhere. I mean, that's the major problem in Texas. But the problem is, when I walked in my kitchen and turned on the light for the very first time, those cockroaches in Texas, you know, everything's big. They were so big, they didn't run. They just put on sunglasses. They're just like, you know, I'm, I'm not moving. You, you can move around me, but I'm not moving, right? So what God wants to do is expose these things so that we can experience healing. Listen, your body, if you're a follower of Jesus, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God wants you to take care of that temple very carefully. Because he says, if you allow the Holy Spirit to do his work, deep dive work inside of you, he can root out the corruption in our brains. And God, the reason why God wants that to happen is so that when you face future struggles and you face future traumas and difficulties and painful events, you have built your house on the truth of God's word, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, so that when the winds and the storms come against you, your house will not collapse, but it will be able to withstand the new storm. This is where God wants to take us. He wants to be strong and mighty as a fortress built upon the bedrock of his truth. So this is what Paul's going to refer to uh, as mental strongholds that Satan seeks to build on our minds. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Now note the word strongholds. I think this is on your outline. A stronghold is a negative and destructive pattern of thinking that Satan uses against you. It is a mental fortress. It's where he digs in. He knows the negative thoughts that you're having about yourself. He knows the negative thoughts that roll around in your mind that defeat you. And so he's not going to let you let go of those, right? He's just going to start like shoving them out there like, hey, Greg, you know, you really feel worthless? Well, let me tell you some reasons why you ought to feel worthless, all right? So he, he can speak to your heart and your mind just as God can. And so these are repetitious mindsets, uh, thought processes, what I, what I call a grid system. In other words, these ruts in your thought processes form a grid. And everything you receive, everything you hear, everything you experience has to filter through that grid system. So if you uh, were told at some point in your life, you know what, you're fat and you're ugly. Well, that, that thought process, lodged in, that, that lodged in your mind, and the reason why it stays there so powerfully, because when somebody said that to you, it hurt. It hurt emotionally, right? I mean, why would somebody say this to me? And why would they treat me this way? And, and so now all of a sudden our mind begins to play with those words, and it develops a grid system so that later on, somebody comes up to you and say, hey, you know, I really love the dress that you're wearing. I, I, I really like your outfit. What is your mind telling you? You don't believe it, right? It's like, oh, they want something from me. They don't really mean that. They, 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 
they're, they want, they really, they're going to ask me for something else. Or maybe, um, you know, you, you were successful in some area of your life, but you, you can never receive a compliment from somebody because in your mind, your success is not really success because somebody along your life's journey, as will happen to me, said to you, me, you will never amount to anything. Well, what did that do to the grid system of my mind? Well, I, I will never amount to anything, right? So everything that happened, everything that happens in my life has had to filter through that grid. You will never amount to anything. So you kind of capture the pattern that Satan operates from. Now, here's why mental strongholds are not easily destroyed, according to Apostle Paul. Number one is my old arguments make sense. He says we demolish arguments. Arguments are reasonings, right? My reason for my actions. Every person has a reason why you do things. Remember, how you think affects the way you feel, which affects what you do. And so oftentimes our actions are predicated upon bad thinking or bad emotions. And so we, we really have a reason. And so um, when, when somebody says, let's say, for example, I've been deeply hurt and I developed the spirit of unforgiveness. Man, I'm, I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm resentful towards that person. I'm unforgiving of them. I wish bad things would happen to them just, you know, because they've hurt me so deeply. And so uh, when somebody confronts you, like the Word of God, and says, you know, we're supposed to forgive everyone, right? We're supposed to exercise forgiveness, forgive others just as Christ forgave you. Then all of a sudden, my mind kicks into over here, and it's like, well, but here's the reasons why I can't do that, or here's the reasons why that's unreasonable for you to even ask me to do that. So the mind and, and so those, those, those strongholds want to remain intact, right? The evil one wants to help keep you intact in those old thought patterns. Number two, my old opinions felt good. He says every pretension, that word pretension means a lofty opinion. Everybody has an opinion about everything in our day and time. But it doesn't mean that their opinion is accurate or that it is truthful. The same goes for you. Your mind has a lot of opinions about a lot of things, but it does not mean that your opinions are accurate or truthful. For example, if your mind keeps telling you, well, I'm not worthy, God couldn't love me, I'm not worthy of God's love, I've done too much, I've sinned too much, I've gone too far, and, and you know, he, he could never, you know, he can love others, he can't love me, he can shower his grace on others, he can't shower it on me, and that's your mindset, and, and that's the, what's built up in your, your thought processes. When you think about God's forgiveness, it's like, no, I, I can't, I, it's just not reasonable. It, it just, just doesn't make sense. God just can't do that for me. All right, so Satan wants to keep you what? Bound to those negative thoughts that lead to negative actions or opinions. I don't, I'm unlovable. It's, it just can't be true. Number three, my mind my old mind is opposed to God. He says, against the knowledge of God. In other words, at the end of the day, these bad, the bad reasonings and mental arguments, you're really opposing God because you're basing those thoughts on lies. God confronts you with the truth, which is what? Is the truth. And God wants you to grasp hold of the truth because it is the truth that's going to bring hope and healing. It's the truth that's going to set you free. But the mind, if it refuses to accept the truth, 
then now you're in opposition mentally against God. God wants to give you the truth, but you want to, you want to remain in the lie. Somebody can, you're, you're sitting here and you don't feel worthy of God's love. You don't feel worthy of salvation. Jesus just can't forgive you uh, for your sins. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you and says, yes, God does love you, and he did die for you, and he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to experience his hope, his healing, his forgiveness. And the mind's going, no, uh, that's not right. It's not true for me. Maybe for everybody else, but not. So you are opposing God, and it feels right. Number four, I think we're on. One, two, three, four. Yep, my old thought patterns come naturally. And he says we are to take every thought captive. Every thought that doesn't go with the knowledge of God is to be taken prisoner and off the battlefield. Why is that? Because we tend to live off of our default patterns of thinking that you've established all your life. Listen, you may have a thousand default thought patterns. You may have 2,000. I don't know. But I can assure you, you have a dominant one. And it's probably that dominant one, it's like tree roots. It kind of goes out to a lot of different things uh, that are attached to this one primary dominant thought pattern that is absolutely controlling your life. That God wants to uproot. God wants to shower his grace on it. God wants to bring healing, he wants to bring hope, he wants to bring restoration, he wants to bring freedom, because he doesn't want you thinking that way anymore. So, let's go, how, how do we travel through this valley of the shadow of death? Well, there's five steps, and these five steps are, you know, I'm just going to kind of flesh them out for you. We're going to take one single source next week and drill down using these five steps um, to give you a, you know, a whole big picture of what this looks like. So let me give you the steps, and I'll give you some examples of what each of these been. So number one is you have to um, recognize, you want to recognize the biggest stronghold in your life. You might think, well, I don't know what that is. Well, let me just encourage you to do this. Sit down sometime and just write down all the negative things you think about yourself. Right? Get it out on paper. Look at it. Because I can almost assure you there is a pattern that is established there. And there is a root cause behind that pattern. This is what we want to get to. Now, it may be that you write all of these things down and you're still thinking, well, I don't recognize well, what, what's my biggest uh, stronghold in my life or my, my mindset. That's where you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to shed light on that. And he will. He wants to set you free, Right? Who knows the mind of God any better than the Spirit of God, right? He is God. And so God is Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit wants to unveil because, you know, as Paul says, this one thing I do, not this 15 things, not these 20 things, I'm not going to, uh, you know, start tackling uh, 15 different strongholds. I want to know what's the biggest one and where the roots have gone. But I want to tackle the biggest one because if I tackle this one, then the other ones will begin to take care of themselves. Does that make sense? So God wants to unveil for you what is the biggest, the biggest um, stronghold in your mental process that keeps you defeated, that you've built coping mechanisms around. 
Listen, here's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 4. For everything that is hidden will eventually be brought into the open, and every secret will be brought to light. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Why does this secret need to be brought to the light? Because you'll never deal with it until it is. Listen, you can't heal what you keep concealed. Right? If you don't define something, then you don't know what to do with it. So what God wants to do is to expose it because we hide things, right? We hide things from others. We hide things from ourselves. Um, and we don't want it exposed. And what Jesus says is, this is I, I, I want to go beneath the surface where your secret beliefs are, where all of your lie-based self-narratives are contained, and I want to start bringing those things into the open because they are deeply influential upon your life. And so the process of awareness is bringing this thing into the open. This is what we call intervention. Right, let's say, for example, you have a family member who's a drug addict, and all of a sudden uh, they're going to do an intervention, right? So the entire family shows up, or friends and everybody, what are they trying to do? They're trying to bring to the light, to the surface, an issue in this person's life that they need to resolve because it's killing them. It's destroying them. It's keeping them captive and enslaved to their sin and all of the fallout that happens through addiction. And so we have to bring our story to the light if we want to undermine the impact of our toxic interior narratives that are lie-based and lie-driven. Now, Jesus wants to bring healing, but you can't dictate to him how he's going to do it. Because we're good about this. All right, Lord, this is the way you got to do it. And uh, we're going to sit down and say, okay, Lord, I wrote these things out, and I'm praying to the Holy Spirit, uh, you got five minutes to bring this to the surface. I, I, you know, this is how you're going to do it in my mind. And when Jesus dealt with people, like, he dealt with them differently. For example, in John chapter 9, there's a guy who was born blind. How did Jesus heal him? Now, Jesus could have spoken a word and healed him. He could have touched his eyes and healed him. Instead, he spits on the ground. He makes a mud pack, puts it on his eyes, and then says to the guy, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. It wasn't until he went to the pool of Siloam and washed that his sight was restored. Now, why did Jesus do that? He didn't do that to everybody. Now, there are a lot of different ways he healed people who were blind. And so um, he, he, in this indirect way, invites him to receive what it is he wants to give him. But um, he says, here's how it's going to happen. Here's how you're going to do it. Well, this created what? Vulnerability, humility. Um, it was done in the open. People are seeing what's happening, how it's being done. Was he willing to follow God's plan? Here's my point, is this. Is that Jesus wants to bring complete healing in the hardware system of your mind as well as in the software system, all right? For so, so long, the church has really put a wet blanket on we, what we call in our day and time mental illness. It was like, you know, if you're dealing with mental illness, it's like, well, if you take a pill for your depression, you have no faith. You're not trusting God. You lack faith in your heavenly Father to bring healing. That's hogwash. 
If your heart's having problems, like you got high blood pressure, they're going to put you on a medication. You know, sometimes in the brain, the hardware of your brain has an issue for which it needs medication. It's not that God's not wanting to heal the software. That's another issue that is attached to the hardware. But it might be that you have to take something that kind of levels you off so that the Holy Spirit can then begin moving inside of you and bringing order in the midst of your, your chaos. And so once we know what to do, the right thing to do, Jesus says doesn't. So for you, it might be that your mental issue that you're dealing with, you're, you're going to need some help medically, and then God will take care of the rest of it spiritually or miraculously. It's just like with my cancer. I didn't say to God, hey, God, I want you to heal me of my cancer, but there's only one way you can do it, and that's miraculously. I'm not going to seek out treatment for my cancer. That would have been foolish of me. Instead, I went through the chemotherapy, I went through the surgeries, and guess what God did? He performed a miracle. And when they took out everything they took out of my body, and they took it through pathology, the pathologist comes back and says, there is not one shred of evidence of cancer anywhere to which my medical oncologist and my surgical oncologist said to me, that almost never, ever happens. Well, that might be, but my God can do a lot of things when you're willing to listen to him and follow how it is that he's leading you. So the same thing is true mentally. For example, the hard wire of your brain, do you know that the things that you eat have a tre and tremendous effect upon the brain? That bad eating leads to bad brain function? For example, we, we know that if, you know, if a kid has ADHD, that food is very important to them. They have a mouth, you know, malfunction in the brain, the hardware, but food can help them. We know that um, things like stretching your brain, stretching your thoughts, walking in nature has huge benefits on brains, on your brain, anxiety and depression reduction. We know that you want to stretch your brain, especially the older you get. The brain seems to begin to slow down so that, you know, medically, um, it, it has been proven that, you know, if you stretch your brain, for example, pick up a new hobby, uh, take a foreign language, take a class in college, learn how to play a musical instrument. All of these things are challenging the brain to think in different ways that keeps the brain healthy and keeps the brain strong. And so we should be always doing these things, but we also want to battle in our minds in the software deficiencies that we have because otherwise Satan comes along and he keeps just pounding away with lies, lie-based thinking. We have to confront his lies with truth. Otherwise, we will become what the Bible calls double-minded, which simply means you can't focus on two things at one time, right? You can't watch two channels at once. Now, my television set, you can watch the big screen, put a small screen in the corner of the big screen and try to watch two football games at once, but what you cannot do is focus on them equally, right? You're back, forth, back, forth, and so your mind is divided, is doubled. So, it, you know, I hear people all the time, well, I really want a good marriage, but I just want to keep being selfish. Or I want my private addiction, and I want to grow in my relationship with God, or I want to make all the impulsive purchases I can possibly make, but I want to be financial stable and secure. I want my anger whenever I feel it, but I also want lasting and meaningful relationships. That's double-mindedness. So what God is saying is, listen, 
We want to root out the major stronghold. We want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to have the healthiest hardware brain possible and allow the Holy Spirit to help us attack the software issues so that we debug the lies out of the software and replace it with God's truth. All right, so that's step number two, is that you want to renew, or let me fill in the blank because you'll get after me if I don't, <laughs> under number one, sin not removed and pain not resolved always hinders your intentions to think differently. All right, we have to deal with our sin issues, we have to deal with our pain, otherwise it will hinder you from thinking differently. Number two is to renew your mind through God's truth. You must bring the lie, that's darkness, into the light of God's truth. What's God's truth? God's Word. The Holy Spirit, He is truth. Uh, truth is a person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so the Holy Spirit, again, knows the mind of God. He knows the heart of God. Why does truth matter? Because Jesus said, you'll know the truth, and it's the truth that will set you free. Listen, your power over Satan does not come from power encounters. Like, you're, not, you're going to talk to Satan and put him in his place. He's just going to laugh at you. It comes with truth encounters. The only way you can destroy a lie is with the truth. The, a lie cannot stand up against the truth, which is why Jesus said it is the truth that is going to set you free. So wherever you have bad thinking, you've got to drill down. What is the truth that combats the lie, that confronts the lie that I have been believing about myself? For example, maybe your stronghold is, you find out your stronghold is, for some reason, I just, all of my life, I've just never thought I was enough. I, I, again, I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't pretty enough, I didn't do enough in school, I, I mean, I, I never... You know, it just seems like I let people down all the time, and, you know, I really had no close friends, and so on and so forth, and you never felt like you could live up to the expectations that others had placed on you. You just never felt enough. And so the challenge is, what is the lie that you need to confront? What is this lie rooted in? This is where you're asking the Holy Spirit to un unveil, uncover, to recognize, help you recognize, what is this thought process actually rooted in in my life? It might be something that somebody said to you or has done to you or an experience you had, and all of a sudden you develop this mindset, I'm just not enough. For example, it might be that you, um, you, you're divorced, right? So I had a sister um, who was married for many, many years. Her husband was in the military. When they got to the end of their military career, he just came home that day and says, I, I'm out. I, I don't want to be married anymore. And he left. And so she developed this, right, this mindset, well, why am I not enough? Why was I not enough? And, and there was that continual, so it, that mindset was rooted in an event in her life that governed and controlled her feelings. But thankfully, you don't have to rely only on what's inside of you, You're, but you have a power that's greater than you. And so here would be the truth. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He, may, he has given me strength to do what he's called me to do. When I'm weak, his strength is perfected in me. In 2 Corinthians. So um, we allow God's living word to do its work within us. So you want to capture the lie. What's it rooted in? What's the truth about 
what I'm interpreting that to mean so that I can confront the lie with the truth. Here's step number three, is you want to reframe your negative thoughts. You want to reframe your negative thoughts. Now, again, you build this, what I, it's called, in psychology, called a cognitive bias, which means when you have thought patterns and you're rutted in your thought processes, these are your default thoughts, your mental grid uh, that you operate off of, right? So a cognitive bias is a mistaken reasoning based on personal experiences or um, preferences. Let's say, for example, you had an abusive father, and so you were hurt. Uh, you, you're always walking on eggshells. You never knew, you know, when he was, what was going to set him off, how he was going to respond. You know, you never knew what was going to come through the door at the end of the workday, and so you were constantly on edge. And so you begin building filters in your mind about this relationship, about handling uh, the shrapnel that was going to be thrown at you or the, the, you know, the, the tornado, uh, torpedo that was going to be leveled at you when, when your dad came through the door and so on and so forth. So how do you reframe that experience? How do you, how do you take what you've experienced and let God bring hope and healing and then leverage that uh, for the rest of your life in a positive way even though it was a very negative experience. So taking a page out of the Apostle Paul, for example, he always wanted to go to Rome, his desire to go to Rome, to preach the gospel. He does end up in Rome finally, but he's there as a prisoner. He is a prisoner because he preached the gospel. And so Paul, for you know, two years was chained, put in a room, he was chained to a Roman guard for eight hours a day. Now Paul could have looked at his situation and framed it in one way, one of two ways. He could have looked at the negative side and from the uh, NWH, the New Whiners version of the Bible, he could have says now, because this is what he wrote in Philippians chapter 1, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me really sucks. As a result of all the hell I've been through, I'm quitting my small group and never going back to church. By the way, uh, there's no such version. Okay, So... <laughs> That's not what Paul said. What did Paul say? Well, here's what he actually said. He says, even though it looks like I'm in a bad shape, I'm actually in chains for Christ. And I was, I'm locked up to this Roman guard eight hours a day. I get a new one every eight hours. Who do you think there was the real prisoner there? They have to listen to Paul ramble on about the gospel of Jesus Christ for eight hours, thus leading some of these Roman guards to Christ who were very influential in the Roman Empire. They were more than just guards. And so he says, I get a new influential person every eight hours who sits here and listens to my eight-hour sermon. Thank you, Jesus. You thought I preached a long time. And it, it may look bad because I'm in these chains, but God is using it, leveraging it for something absolutely wonderful. I'm not saying that your bad, painful experience in life was a wonderful thing to go through. I'm simply saying if you allow God to reframe it, God can reframe it in such a way that ultimately God will leverage it as he said he would. He takes all things, all things, good, bad, and the ugly, and those who walk according to Christ, love Jesus, God says I will take those things and I will leverage those things for your ultimate good and for the good of the kingdom. And so... Uh, 
This is what Jesus did with Peter. Remember Peter denied him three times? Jesus got crucified. Peter went off in the fishing business. Jesus resurrected. He calls Peter back up there on shore, and he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you, Lord. Three times. Peter's like, oh, are we going through this again? Yeah, do you love me? Yeah, yeah, you know I love you, Lord. And then Jesus said this. He said, Peter, I want to paint a picture for you about your future. You're going to die by crucifixion. Now, Peter always had been the one of the disciples who said, you know, I'm willing to die for you, Lord. I'm, I'm willing to lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, in essence, to Peter, it's going to happen. And Peter, rather than being in the moment, in the present, he went back to the future. To the, he went forward to the future. And there was, he saw John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and Peter says to Jesus, what about John? What's going to happen to him? And Jesus says, that's really none of your business. If I choose to let him remain alive until I return, that's my decision. I want you to focus on the present. Hear me. Don't get stuck in the past. Don't let the past control you. You can learn from it, but you, it's never meant to control you or to chain you there. Don't get all wrapped up in the future because God's got your future in his hands. God always says, remain in the present. That's why Jesus says, stop worrying about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Listen, tomorrow has enough problems of its own. You remain in the present. Why? Because that's where God is. God is outside of time, space, and matter. He is always present. That's why when you get to heaven, you're not going to have a calendar, you're not going to have a watch, because it's just you're in the presence, and there's no, there's no back, there's no forward, it's just we're always in the present. So when you reframe what has happened to you, when God unveils and sheds light on what has happened to you, and you confront the lie-based thinking with truth, and you confront it, and you're renewing your mind on God's truth, and you're going to reframe those negative thoughts and look for what is the positive that has come out of this. Listen, I've experienced a lot of painful events in my life that God has always brought positive things out of a very ugly thing and made something beautiful with it. That's what he wants to do with you. And then you review your declaration of faith. Declaration of faith is like saying, you know what? Here's what I'm declaring. Um, for example, I'll, I'll just read you some of mine. All right? So I had cancer. Battled cancer seven months, eight months. Um, you know, I'm going through my valley of the shadow of death. And so I'm, you know, anchoring in on, say, God, what is it you want to show me? What do you want to teach me? And as I shared before, he, he gave me 13 things. So I can't tackle all 13 things, but I can tackle... But one of them, right, I can start with number one, or what's number two, what's number three. And so as I was going through this, you know, Satan is bombarding my mind with lies about how God sees me, how he feels about me, and why this is happening to me. And so I, I began confronting the truth with lies. And so a declaration of faith is a truth that you're declaring so that you not only hear it, but you're also as we sang, I will fight my battles. God has prepared a table for you in the presence of his enemies. As I'm declaring to God this truth, as I'm declaring my faith 
and my trust and my worship to the Heavenly Father, no matter what happens to me, I'm making these faith declarations so that my enemy has to listen to them because it's based solely upon God's Word. For example, my, one of my declarations was, I'm healing strong. Every day I would tell myself, I'm healing strong, and this is based on Psalm 103. I speak to every mountain of fear, discouragement, stress, depression, and lack, and cast it into the sea of forgiveness into the sea in the name of Jesus, right? Didn't Jesus tell if we have faith like a mustard seed and speak to the mountain, it'll go into the sea? And so this is what, you know, my declaration of faith. I speak to this day and I call you blessed and I declare that I serve a kind, good, generous, and mighty God who today will be ex do exceedingly and abundantly above all that I can ask or think. I say you are a good God and I eagerly anticipate your goodness today based on a Ephesians 3.20, I declare peace over the raging waters in my mind, emotions, body, and family. I say, peace be still to these areas in my life. I declare that all attacks that are headed my way are divested right now by angelic protection in the name of Jesus based on Psalm 91. I have 20 of those declarations of faith that I would go over every single day for the last eight months and God says, let me root out the negative thoughts. Let me root out the lies that you're believing so that I can replace it with my truth because I'm telling you, I'm doing a work in your life and you're going to experience a miracle. I didn't know if it would be a miracle of healing, a miracle you know, coming through death and God you know, in a mysterious way brings hope and healing on the other side of, of this world. I know that is possible and I know that that was probable maybe in my life. I didn't know where God was taking all this, but I did know I would declare my faith and my trust in my Heavenly Father so that when my breakthrough came, I would receive and experience God's blessing, however that played itself out, so that I would use that to reframe my thoughts to say, you know what, now I've been through this valley, here is how God might use it for His glory and to help others. So you want to review them. Number five, rely on friends to help you stay the course. Now here's something, and I close with this. This is right out of, of an example of Jesus, right? You remember, there's a story in the Bible where a woman had an issue of blood, came to Jesus. She'd been sick for many, many years. She'd gone to doctors. They couldn't help her. She felt shameful. She felt ostracized. I mean, she, because she would have been considered in that day and time unclean. She could not have gone to synagogue, certainly could not have gone to the temple. And so she just felt horrible about herself. And then she sees Jesus in the crowd. She makes her way through the crowd. She grabs the hem of his garment, knowing and believing that if she could do so, he would heal her. And so she touches it, and sure enough, she experiences a healing and then she moves away back into the crowd and starts to shrink away. And she's just going to kind of like, you know, go off on her own, still carrying with her the weight of her guilt and her shame and, and all that goes along with that, everything she was feeling and thinking about herself. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, hold it. Somebody touched me. I felt the power going out of me. And he scans the crowd and she comes and she, she bows before Christ and said, I'm the one who touched you. Why did Jesus out her publicly? 
because he did not want her to walk away still enslaved to her shame, her guilt, her sense of inferiority, and everything else that she was carrying with her. He wanted to out her publicly so that she would bring into the light everything that was carried inside of her. You see, God's not just interested in your physical healing. God is interested in your healing of the soul. And so God outs her. He brings it to the surface. He brings it into the light. Isn't that what James tells us? Confess your sins to one another so that you might experience God's healing. It is, in other words, these things that we want to keep shrouded, we want to keep stuffed down, we want to keep hidden. Sometimes God says, listen, you have got to bring that into the light because you're going to need other people help you to take this journey in order for you to experience the hope and the healing that you're looking for in life. Let's get it out in the open because you cannot, listen, whatever you keep hidden cannot be healed. And God says, now expose it. And so what did he say to her? He said to her, daughter. He wanted to strip away every ounce of shame, guilt, everything that she used to survive in life up to that point. He wanted her to enter into a new season of absolute peace and hope and healing it's what God wants for you. But you've got to get it out of the darkness. Nothing good grows in the darkness. We love our darkness. There are some things for which you cannot do on your own. You need the help of someone else. It may be a Christian counselor, a trusted friend, your spouse. I'm just telling you, you cannot do it on your own. And if you think you're smart enough to do that, eh, not happening. I know of a person who had an eating disorder, kept it hidden from his wife, his family, his friends for years. Finally, his wife accidentally found out about it. She outed him. He said, I'll never do it again. That lasted a nanosecond. She found out again. You know what she said to him? I'm going to tell your friends. I'm going to tell your boss. I'm going to tell... Your co-workers, if you do this again, I'm out of you. You know what he stopped? His eating disorder. When his counselor that he finally went to asked him how that was possible, he said, because once it was out in the open, and once my wife threatened to tell everybody, that's all I needed, and I stopped. Let's bow our heads. Father, you love us so much, and you have surrounded us with friends and family and church um, friends and family, and God, this is why you created community within the body of Christ, so that we can be a help to one another. Father, we know that not one of us here has it all together, that we don't carry with us some pain and hurt and traumas and, and everything that goes with that. And so, Father, for some here this morning... Um, they need they need your Holy Spirit to just take a deep dive into their spirit, their soul, and unveil some things and bring some things out of the darkness into the light. 
But for some, they're, they're, they're in need of um, help. They just need help. They can't do this on their own. They've tried it a thousand times on their own. It just doesn't work. And so, Lord, we, we want to see breakthrough in, our, in the lives of your people. God, we know when there's breakthrough, there is blessing on the other side of that. God, you just you set us free. And, and um, Lord, our lives are forever different and transformed and re- made new and renewed. And, and uh, Lord, everything begins to change in, in our relationships and in our, um, just in our walk with you. God, we want, we want to see the captives set free. Jesus, that, that's what you came to do. And we're asking for your Holy Spirit now to just rain down, pour down upon us. Uh, you're just amazing insight and grace. Uh, and Lord, may you uncover, may you unveil that which is keeping us imprisoned and enslaved to the very things that are detrimental to our lives and to our well-being. So may you have your will and your way this morning in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to close out our time in singing, and then uh, immediately you can go to the activity center, uh, food set up back there. Love for you to stay, be a part of uh, our uh, meal together. I don't know what the weather's doing outside, but if it's better, I think we're setting up some games, at least for the kids. So uh, if you're here this morning, this, this all begins with a relationship with Jesus, right? Jesus is what makes the difference in your life. He's the one who forgives. He's the one who sets free. He's the one who enables you to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit because you need a power source that is way outside of yourself in order to experience breakthrough and wholeness and healing that God wants to give to you. So if you've never put your faith and trust and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do that. I'm going to be here at the front uh, during the song, after the service. I would love to talk to you about that. Answer any questions that you have. I'm here. I'll stay here as long as it need, need be. Uh, but I just pray and hope that, uh, that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you and just tugging on your heart in order to embrace Christ to be Savior and Lord of your life. And that is the first step. That is the beginning step. We're all about helping you take your next step with God. But once you've taken that step, listen, it's not like, okay, God, now just do everything for me, right? No, you've got to put forth the effort. These steps I've given to you, you want to know the reason why I do them every year? Because every year you look at them and you go, huh, okay. And you put that away and you never do it and nothing changes. And so you're back next year the same way you were last year because you never really applied the truth of God's word. Listen, God, God wants to do some great things to our church, but it happens through the renewed people of God in the body of Christ that enables that to happen. And so, um, listen, we all have our junk. We all have our stuff. Nobody's got it together. You may have torn down 14 strongholds. You got 14 more to go. Well, that's 14 less than you had before, right? Amen? So it's a lifelong process. It is a lifelong process as we're developing into Christ-likeness. And so take that initial step through Jesus. Put these five areas into practice, and I'll show you next week. I'm going to take one of the key strongholds in almost every believer's life, the key stronghold. I can almost assure you this will be one that will come to the surface. Let's look at it. Let's dismantle it in the name of Christ, surrounding it in the Lord's Supper, and uh, let's set some people free from the bondage that Satan has kept them enslaved to.